Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. John, it is your turn. Tell us what you picked. I picked a story called The Prairie Wife by Curtis Sittenfeld. Do you want to read a section for us? Yeah, I'm just going to read from the beginning. The understanding is that after Casey's iPhone alarm goes off at 6.15 a.m., Kirsten wakes the boys, nudges them to get dressed, and herds them downstairs, all while Casey is showering. The four of them eat breakfast as a family, deal with teeth brushing and backpacks, and Casey, who is the principal of the middle school in the same district as the elementary school Jack and Ian attend, drives the boys to drop off. Kirsten then takes her shower in the newly quiet house before leaving for work. The reality is that at 6.17, as soon as Casey shuts the bathroom door, Kirsten grabs her own iPhone from her nightstand and looks at Lucy Hedrick's Twitter feed. Clearly, Kirsten is not alone. Lucy has 3.1 million followers. She follows a mere 533 accounts, many of which belong to fellow celebrities. Almost all of Lucy's vast social media empire, which of course is an extension of her lifestyle brand empire, whatever the fuck a lifestyle brand is, drives Kirsten crazy. Its content is fake and pandering and boring and repetitive. How many times will Lucy post variations on the same recipe for buttermilk biscuits? And Kirsten devours all of it, every day. Facebook and Instagram, Tumblr and Pinterest, the blog, the vlog, the TV show. Every night, Kirsten swears that she won't devote another minute to Lucy, and every day she squanders hours. The reason that things go wrong so early in the morning, she has realized, is this. She's pretty sure Twitter is the only place where real, actual Lucy is posting. Lucy, whom Kirsten once knew. Lucy has insomnia, and while all the other posts on the other sites might be written by Lucy's minions, Kirsten is certain that it was Lucy herself who, at 1.22 a.m., wrote, Watching Splash on cable. Oops, I forgot to name one of my daughters, Madison. Or at 3.14 a.m., accompanied by a photo of an organic candy bar. Hmm... Could habit of eating chocolate in middle of night be part of reason I can't sleep, lol? Morning, therefore, is when there's new, genuine Lucy sustenance. So how can Kirsten resist? And then the day is Lucy contaminated already, and there's little incentive for Kirsten not to keep polluting it for the 16 hours until she goes to bed with the bullshitty folksiness in Lucy's life. The acquisition of an alpine goat, the canning of green beans, the baby shower that Lucy is planning for her young friend Jocelyn, who lives on a neighboring farm. As it happens, Lucy has written, or written, right? There's no way. A memoir with recipes, dishing with the prairie wife, that is being published today. So Kirsten's latest vow is that she'll buy the book. She tried to reserve it from the library and learned that she was 305th in line. Read it and then be done with Lucy completely, forever. What made you pick this story or how'd you find it? I am um, just going through reading stories. And when I saw there was a story by Curtis Sittenfeld, who we did an episode on uh, gender studies, I yes. was like, I'll probably, I probably wind up bringing this to the podcast because nice. that one elicited so much conversation and we mention it in like every other episode. So another <laughs> one by, by we, you mean I, <laughs> well, I do too, but yeah, another one by her, I thought would be pretty good. And it was. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So what did you like about it? I love the way how this unspools. It just the way it, it just kind of gathers steam and opens up and keeps unfolding. It's throughout the whole piece. It's just it's continually unraveling different stuff throughout the whole thing. It's really, really neat. Yeah. So like the way it starts, to your point, it's already off and running, but where it starts is like not at all where it ends up, right? So this pace kind of keeps up in terms of like what you're discovering about the character and like the excitement with which you're reading it. At first I thought, I wonder how long we can read a story about, you know, an Instagram obsession, which I think we all have and is like super timely and, you know, <laughs> hate following people is something I identify with strong 
strongly. So I get this like urge that she's describing and I'm totally about reading about it because I don't know that I've read a fiction story this way, similar to like a cat person where a lot of its appeal at the time was that you hadn't yet read a story about online dating. So it was relevant and it felt immediate and relatable. So this felt similar that way, right? I was like, wow, I know this feeling very strongly and I talk about it with my friends, but I haven't read it in a fiction setting. So this is so exciting. And then like you said, it keeps kind of unspooling. And so, yeah, it just takes you on a story as only fiction can do. Yeah, absolutely. Part of me always feels the urge at this point to like summarize the story. But one of the things that I like immediately noticed about it, and this goes back to a lot of what we talk about in our workshop, is something that we've started to coin as like a domestic thriller, right? So like (laughs) I got the sense like early on that she's being secretive at first, right? So her partner is there and she has this ritual where Casey goes and showers and she whips out her phone and we're being introduced to it in a way that feels like there's something at stake even though we don't know what it is yet and even though it comes off as pretty benign that she's stalking this prairie wife chick you kind of know too that like that can't be all of it right so you're reading and waiting and watching for whatever it is she's going to reveal and she's got such a hate for this woman that you wonder if there's not going to be something like kind of sinister about it so it feels like a domestic thriller that way because like we've talked about like we have a writer in our group that has gotten really good about writing these kind of quiet stories about like a husband and wife couple and all of a sudden there's like some major twist that literally blows your mind and throughout her pieces there's uh, like this element of suspense and you don't really know what you're uneasy about and I felt that way reading this I felt uneasy I felt like this can't go well and there's a weird obsession here and why am I uncomfortable it feels like things are about to like unravel right like in a bad way and um, that's I think something we typically talk about for I don't know an action story right where oh, there's yeah. a lot of plot or like fantasy or like a typical thriller like a court thriller whatever it would be I love when you get that same feeling though from what is otherwise a very benign and easily relatable premise yeah I feel like uh, to discuss this we have to have a spoiler warning because the turns that happen and then just the revelations about what is happening as well and who people are well then yeah this is our spoiler alert because the strength of this story is exactly what we have to discuss which is how she's able to surprise you trying to think at least twice I could argue for like a third like time that I was like oh legitimately surprised with kind of the outcome and that's the strength of this piece I'm trying to think how you came up with three sure so these are the three that I see okay the first one is that we find out that the reason Kirsten is obsessed with Lucy is because they knew each other growing up and they were camp counselors and they had sex with each other repeatedly and at the time Kirsten thought that this was just some weird fun thing and that she wasn't actually gay but this was fun and she later realizes that Lucy you know she was a lesbian and she was open about that and proud of it and was even talking at the time of mentoring these students in their care at the summer camp so there's that first turn where you're like oh no wonder she's obsessively following this girl right she had a past with her so that's surprising right because even in 2021 we default to female narrators or characters as being straight until told otherwise right you can't really help it so that was a surprise and it was intentionally definitely told that way and you're left thinking that okay well Kirsten has since moved on and she's straight and so this is like some secret of hers then I would argue that the second twist is that it's Lucy who comes out and tells the world her secret right we're thinking this whole time that Kirsten is going to be the one that like upends this woman's life because she's literally plotting how to do it with her friend at work she's like I'm going to tell the whole world that she's a lesbian she's not really straight she's not really a prairie wife she didn't 
didn't even grow up in the country. And then she is blown away because this girl comes out with a novel in it. She says, hey, I'm actually bisexual. Um, Yeah, I didn't grow up in the country or anything. I've never lied about that. You know, I'm bisexual, but I'm with my husband now. And she's like really open about it. And like she gets a great response from her fans. And then Kirsten herself is blown away by her own feelings about this. She too feels like this is authentic and great. Yeah, so that feels like a twist because that's not where we see the story going. No, the narrative thrust for so much of it is like she wants to undermine her. Yeah, you're just kind of like, well, that's not what I was reading for. Yeah. So I had this pit in my stomach the whole story thinking she was going to do something terrible to Lucy. And um, finally, the third twist is that we find out that Casey's a woman and yeah. Kirsten is out and proud and grew up to be a lesbian. Didn't realize it maybe at the time. Seemed to have a lot of animosity toward Lucy for being the first one that she like discovered this with kind of. And that is so definitely done. So in the section that you read, obviously, it's only in hindsight that you realize we're not using pronouns at all and that the name yeah. Casey go either way. But I, I had to reread the section three or four times at the end where it was like, you know, they had had the argument about who's going to get the kid's instrument that he forgot. Yeah. And when Kirsten gets home, the kid's like, yeah, mom got it for me. But we know that Kirsten didn't get it. And I was like, what? 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 <laughs> I Wait. was like, okay, that was good. Nice job, Curtis. This is one of those things like in a workshop, you would be like, oh, you can't hide that kind of information, but she's not hiding it, right? No. It's We make an assumption as a right. reader, like Casey's a guy, obviously it's her husband. And then you read it over and you're like, there's no reason I should have thought that, which is, no. you know, that's a cultural problem. Obviously, Curtis is banking on the fact that we will think that so that we read this entire story with one interpretation, right? We think Kirsten hates Lucy for having this weird thing happen. In a way, she almost feels like she was taken advantage of, it seems like, initially, the way she's describing the situation. She's like, this woman's a fraud and we had sex a bunch and I still don't know how I feel about that. And then to find out that she's out and she's living her life in an authentic way herself, but still somehow resentful of Lucy is really interesting. And um, then we find out by the end the kind of conclusion for the story is that the reason she's resentful has nothing to do with this lesbian relationship but it has everything to do with the fact that she's realizing that being with Lucy was the last time she felt really special. <laughs> yeah. She's like, the last time I felt like I was the most important person in the world was when I was like having my first sexual encounter with a woman who, you know, I'm chasing that feeling. And she tells her wife, she's like, what if that's the last time I feel really special? And her wife's like, listen, we're raising kids and working. Like, I don't know what you want me to do every day, but I love you. And it feels okay, but it's so much more poignant that, um, you can have kind of ridden this roller coaster of plot, really, where things are twisting and turning. But then at the end, you're just brought back to the same kind of realization that might otherwise have been kind of boring or sad to read all the way through, which is that, uh, yeah, we always felt our best and our sexiest when we were young lovers, right? So you're kind of chasing that feeling when you stalk these people. Yeah, and Lucy was really attached to her. She like sent her mixtape and Kirsten feels probably feels a little regret that she just kind of blew her off at the time because now it's like nobody's sending me mixtapes and nobody's just fiercely attached to me or the idea of me yeah and she talks about how even at the time that they were like kind of having sex like I don't think she was like lying to herself about like liking Lucy or anything I don't think she was like pretending that she wasn't into this chick or anything I just don't think she really was and she's kind of like realizing later that that's fine but she had something that she didn't realize at the time was really rare which is somebody so head over heels with you so good to you you know that was like really kind to her so even like in these sex scenes where she's describing like how parts of it might have been like uncomfortable or whatever she's basically saying like that Lucy was like so kind to her in her first like sexual encounter with a woman and how that could have gone so bad you know she doesn't really say it but like this is like a teenage 
teenage girl or a young girl at the time that like basically ushered her into her sexuality in the most like positive way that it could have happened. And she's kind of like sad about not recognizing that for what it was at the time too, it sounds like. Yeah, I think one of the moments you're alluding to is when Kirsten just says to Lucy, I'm not a lesbian. Yeah. And Lucy could, you know, get mad about that, but she didn't. Right. Just kind of right. laughed it off and like, and Kirsten felt in retrospect that that was really a kind of uh, an amazing moment that allowed the growth of their, of her and everything. But she wasn't accept, she, she wasn't acknowledging who she was. It is interesting because she started off not thinking she was a lesbian, just having this encounter. She had a boyfriend before that she had a boyfriend after that and then right. years later in the current moment of the story lucy is the one who has a husband and isn't out but kirsten is so they've right. switched places which is probably part of what makes her have these feelings why she's so obsessively stalking her and like thinking about undermining her is because she's like we've switched where you're where i was and i'm where you were right yeah and that's interesting too and they kind of talk about that when the revelation happens it's almost through the co-worker who the co-worker is gay and he is like equally invested in like seeing Lucy outed somehow right so he undergoes the same kind of revelation where he's like I'm out and proud and gay and here's this woman massively successful but at the expense of whatever and thinks is like her actual identity and so when she comes forward and she's like actually I'm bisexual they both like have this change of heart like almost against their will where they're like yeah okay bisexual is like one of these like final frontiers that we all have to like accept as like legitimate right so just because you're with a man doesn't mean you're not bisexual. So they're kind of like, wow, she was in a difficult situation that even we as gay people didn't appreciate or understand. And they feel so um, proud of her because she's taking this all off so positively and she's kind of like embracing it. She didn't let someone out her in a negative way, right? Like she took control and she was like, yeah, by the way, I'm bisexual. It shouldn't matter. But, you know, I want to make other people feel comfortable. And then Kirsten remembers that that was like really authentic because she said the same thing at summer camp. She was like, I want to make these girls feel comfortable with who they are whoever that is and she's been treating her as like this fake for years like no she's legit there's so much going on and I wonder how Curtis came up with this like if it was a social media story and then she added all this depth or if it was like what if a girl grows up and becomes you know and marries a woman and reflects on one of her first flings you know and then she added the social media element because there's just so much it's so rich with like all of the specifics of this situation yeah that is a it's always fascinating a thought experiment kind of to reconstruct what the seed was for a story yeah yeah I think I like thinking about that because it helps me think about how to come up with stories for myself too. Right. Like where do my stories come from? And if you can work backwards. Yeah. Cause I, I think sometimes like the best work I've done has come from a premise that I liked enough to add more to, but you know, like the story where JK Rowling came up with Harry Potter and wrote it down on a cocktail napkin when she was like on a train or something. I'm like, all right, you didn't write all seven books. What did you write on the napkin? Uh, yeah. That was the seed. Like where did it originate? Because all of this world building is totally different so like with this it's like where did it originate because i'm so impressed by all of the building that you did since that makes it all feel like this fully realized world that must exist outside of this piece you know the twitter thing in here that she's stalking her on twitter and constantly checking twitter and just obsessed yeah. with her phone because of her it's like you said it's very contemporary it's very not something you see in, in a lot of stories it's new but that's just kind of like the accoutrements the actual story is 
how this woman feels about this other woman and the way that their roles have shifted through right. their lives and what happened in the past. So where the story came, like if the story came from a contemplation of Twitter, you have to add all that character stuff to get it to be this story. But if the story came from a contemplation of a character, the Twitter thing just like kind of like seasoning. Yeah. And it's almost natural, right? Yeah. Like if this is going to be a modern day story, this is going to be how she interacts. That's right. So the woman we're talking about in our fiction group who's so good at this and she she's listening and she knows who she is. I'm always like, kind of wondering, like, how do you decide how you're going to tell a story when you know the full story, but you're going to try to surprise your reader? And it's difficult. And we've talked about that in our group, how you have to, like, in some ways, lay the foundation for the deception, like, so that when you read it back, you say to yourself, like, it was there all along. How did I not see it? Like, we're not being lied to in the story, like you said earlier. We're just assuming Casey's a man and that's our assumption but she didn't necessarily tell us case was a man right so she's relying on that though and it's only on the second reading that you kind of have to realize oh it was all there but there's just no pronouns so she decided at one point i can't use pronouns right i can't say he or she and then how do you decide that you're gonna like tell us about like this kind of the fact that they had a relationship at the camp right like she delays that that whole first section where we're fully engrossed we don't know anything about the fact that they've hooked up multiple times that's like bearing the lead to the 10th degree. So you have to be like really patient to unspool that later and to make it a reveal, right? It's almost like if I was going to write this story, I'd be like, oh, I got to put the juiciest parts at the beginning. That's right. And then it almost like ceases to be the complex story that this is, right? Then it's like, I've come up with this great premise versus I'm going to like have you discover these things alongside me or something. Yeah. So yeah, I always wonder like all the effort that goes into withholding and then knowing when to reveal something. Yeah, I think one thing that helps this is the style of this is really, it's kind of, the word that came to mind was breezy. Yeah. It's just kind of like this easygoing, kind of just like eh, breezy style. And I think that kind of helps because it helps you move along and move past things. And um, and like the first thing I said about this story is I love the way it unspooled. And I think that breezy style kind of helps it just have that movement. You know, we're just going to, yeah. just going to touch on these things. And that allows you also to kind of skip past stuff, you know, it's there, but it's not something you have to linger. On. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. You're just kind of like caught up in the pace of the story. Yeah, and especially with something that's like obsessiveness, you know, constant forward motion is is probably a good way to approach obsessiveness. Yeah, obviously Curtis is a great writer. So part of this is just being able to definitely master a tone like that, right? That makes for that kind of a reading experience. But I think in my own experience, stories that for me feel effortless or that I think read effortlessly kind of have something in common in terms of like, what I'm comfortable with subject wise. So like if you told me to write about Instagram stalking someone, I probably could write it in a breezy way because like none of it is belabored for me. Like it's all just like at the tip of my tongue. I just haven't like expressed it before. So all of this also feels like it's written by someone who is like drawing on real experiences. Like I don't know how hard she had to think to come up with (laughs) some stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. We've all read stories by people where we're like, you were trying pretty hard, weren't you? Because it comes across in the writing, whether or not it's like stilted or just too much. I think that's part of the write what you know thing. Yeah. And that that advice is so often um, misapplied and misunderstood. Yeah. But part of it is like, if you have something you can pull from, that it feels effortless because it's just there for you. Right. It doesn't mean that all pilots should write stories in the sky, <laughs> but <laughs> like 
if you've never, you know, experienced the death of a parent or something, it's probably going to be a little more work for you to tap into those ideas than it might be for someone who has, right? Whose lived experience makes those ideas like they're on the tip of their tongue, right? Yeah, exactly right. What else should we talk about for this one? Or what else did you want to point out for it? There's one other thing that I kind of noted was that the whole story happens in one day. Obviously, there's flashbacks and like explanations, but the action of the story, the actual, if you plot it out, is like she wakes up in the morning, checks Twitter, and then she goes to bed at night and it's, everything happens in that one day, which I think is kind of a, um, it didn't need to be, but the fact that it is probably helped, right? Yeah. As a writer, it gives you structure. Yeah, for sure. Wow, that's a good point. Well, two things. I didn't even realize until you just said it that it wasn't one day because there is so much time covered in it. And we d- we jump around in these flashbacks and things. So, wow. And now that you say <laughs> it, it's pretty obvious. But uh, yeah, it's all in one day. And to your point about structure, we've talked about this, I think, in our workshop before where people are writing and covering just like a large span of time with whatever they're writing, whether it's like a novel or like a short story, but they want to cover a lot, a lot, a lot of ground. And I think it's rare a lot of times that these people have like plotted out those dates on like a piece of paper (laughs) because if you're going to cover that much time it's I mean it's just a huge undertaking to achieve the sense of time passing for the reader and for that to be necessary so to your point this provides structure right this does not have to be this thing where one day she wakes up and does this the next day this happens the next day the book comes out the next day she watches the review or the next day she forgets her daughter's instrument whatever it is right it doesn't have to be drawn out like that. What other kind of takeaways do you have for this piece overall? Or what did you kind of come away with for this? I guess my takeaway for the story is the first thing I said was I, I love how it unspools. And just thinking about that, you talked about the, the you identified three major like reveals through it. But yeah. I think every kind of paragraph in the beginning kind of like opens up a new thing. There's like, this is how it should happen is the first paragraph. And oh, kind of yeah. schedule. And the second one is this is how it actually happens. And it gives it the real schedule within just the Twitter. And then it kind of moves on to another thing. Just the way that unravels the, the whole story. And it keeps going like that through the whole thing. I think that's um, such a neat technique. And uh, I, I mean, it's... It's, it's kind of basic. That's basically what stories do <laughs> in general. But right. this one, the way it does it is so specific and cool that it's a good one to learn that from. Yeah. And kind of back to your last point about this all being in one day, that's a clever device to use, right? To say that like, this is typically how a day goes and then to use that as a way to like kind of insert background. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then to be like, but I've decided this all takes place in one day. So here's what happens on this day. It seems like a clever if not the intention of that one day timeline, it's a nice byproduct. Mm-hmm. My takeaway is probably just going back to what we talked about for a little bit about this being like a domestic thriller. <laughs> So like we said, I think the strengths of these reveals come from the fact that we are kind of expecting a mundane story. We aren't expecting necessarily to be surprised by a premise that we're so familiar with. If anything, this felt like a story that you were going to be rooting and rooting for Kirsten to get some kind of a revenge. And then when that didn't happen, there's like so much room to surprise us. So I immediately after reading this had like so many ideas for premises like we talked about that I would be able to kind 
kind of like effortlessly write. So what do I do every day? I go to work every day. So like, what could I write about someone having some kind of like mundane problem at work, but then it's resolved like kind of fantastically, right? And by fantastically, I don't mean magically, just kind of like what would be out of the ordinary about this day and and worth telling a story about a character who goes to the office every day. And maybe it's like a revenge fantasy like this one, or maybe it, it is just an opportunity for this character to be surprised. But the strength in a lot of those stories is that the reader is always caught off guard because they're so familiar with the setting and the dynamics and just like the comfortability of a domestic situation that anytime something goes wrong, it's both like the surprising but inevitable type thing we talk about for endings. It's surprising but inevitable that there might be a robber in your house or it's surprising but inevitable that you might be really upset finding your cheating husband or something, right? Like that's the threshold for a climactic moment in that setting. So you can absolutely go there. You can envision all of that. And then how can you like make that story really exciting? I bet it's probably really easy for you to do that. You know, if you were to just like focus on something, I think so often we think fiction needs to be somehow extremely imaginative, but sometimes the stories I like best are the ones where I'm like, whoa, I Instagram stalk people too. And (laughs) it's really relatable that way. So yes, my takeaway is to think about a really mundane thing, but to add like a reason, an exciting reason you're telling me about this character doing this thing today. Why are they doing it today? And what's going to be different? That makes it like, wow, cool. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, that's what stories should be. They should be exciting. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how I felt reading this. I was like, this is exciting. She's going to do something. And then I was excited for a totally different reason. So that's pretty cool too. But I don't have any advice for like how to insert twists. It's <laughs> tough. Yep. I guess playing with the um, with our assumptions too is probably a good thing. Yeah. So we talked about that a little bit, like playing with your assumptions like at the beginning. And uh, when we talk about twists, we've talked about this in past episodes, like the twist shouldn't be something that you can't have foreseen, you know? Uh, It shouldn't be like, but Lucy was actually a dragon or, but I'm going to kill my (laughs) husband and he's been dead this whole time. Like stuff like that is not as fun as surprises like this, where uh, they're plausible and on second read somewhat inevitable. I mean, like the whole story is about her sexuality. So the fact that it's revealed that she's a lesbian at the end isn't out of nowhere. But if the whole story had something to do with her hunting dragons or something, then (laughs) revealing at the end that Lucy was a dragon would make more sense right but it's yeah. in this story it wouldn't make any sense so you have to yeah what the reveal is has to have something to do with everything that came before it right very good thanks guys if you enjoyed this episode consider subscribing to our monthly newsletter at our website napleswritersworkshop.com and for daily writing tips industry news and great short fiction join our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash naples writers workshop